Pastor said, I'm one of two speakers, so we, we will be done by 12. It's up to me. I don't know. The second speaker, I'm on day five. I'm So happy Father's Day. Uh, I'll be sharing about fatherly love, uh, what it means uh, as it relates to our Heavenly Father, um, and just, just that love, that God's love. Uh, but before we begin, uh, I just want to share a video. Just to kind of get us warmed up as far as Father Father Day So, let me take a moment and enjoy the Father's Day is the worst holiday in the world. I've done the research, I already know. Mother's Day is the second most celebrated holiday in the world. Christmas is first. So it's, that means it's Jesus being your mom. <laughs> you know what Father's Day is called? Number 20. I can't think of 18 other holidays. <laughs> Do you realize Halloween is number six? <laughs> I mean, ghosts and goblins don't Number 13. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I just know it comes for me. It's crazy. <laughs> Columbus Day is number 16. Celebrating Columbus Day is like celebrating somebody finding money in your house. <laughs> 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 I discovered in your kitchen.
And it says in verses 4 through 8, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So God is love, and love never fails. Our Heavenly Father, then, He never fails us. I know it's kind of a cliche when we talk about love and how love conquers all, but it's important to distinguish the type of love, uh, that God love that we're talking about as believers compared to what the world uh, says is love. And so for dads, fathers, I believe we can use 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 as a sort of instruction, kind of a navigation for how to be fathers. Uh, again, God is love, and love is an attribute of God. It's a core aspect of who God is. Uh, this is who he is. Again, God is love. So if we go back to verse 7, again, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And so it's been said before, to know God is to love God. And fathers, in order to, for, in order to know God, we need to be in relationship with him. Um, and we need to be in relationship with him for that love to grow, to nurture it, to water it. Uh, for if we want, again, that love that we see in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 4 through 8. Um, the importance of God's love can also be found later on in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, um, verse 13. And it says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Of the three theological virtues that kind of define our relationship with God, faith, hope, and love, and it says in 1313, 13, 1 Corinthians, love is the greatest. Our Heavenly Father puts a tremendous value of love in our relationship with Him. So what do you value in your relationship with your kids? What do you value in your relationship with your son, with your daughter, with your family? I know dads, we all love our children, but is it really that God we love? Is it patient and kind? Does it not envy or boast? Is it not self-seeking or easily angered? Does it keep no record of wrongs? I'm so thankful for forgiveness uh, that my Heavenly Father doesn't keep records of all my wrongs. Um, moving on to uh, 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And again, I just want to focus on not everything in those two verses, but really just those uh, four words, um, because, uh, because, I, because, excuse me, but that he loved us. Um, God has demonstrated his love through the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, and that ultimate sacrifice was sending his son who died for us, for our sins. Um, yes, we need a relationship with God. Yes, we need to grow closer to God. But God does what he does not because of anything that we do. It's not with any of our good works, anything that's uh, dependent on us. He does because he loves us. Um, and dads, this it's the, it relates to, again, what we do, the same thing with our families. We don't do what we do for our children and our families um, because of what they do for us. Trust me, my wife this morning, Father's Day was up trying to make reservations, I believe, for IHOP. So it's not because anything that she does for me. Um, well, 
better last you went to Chipotle. <laughs> 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 and, and fathers, dads, you think about you, you had uh, maybe some of you this morning, you probably ate some breakfast that maybe the bacon was burned. It's okay. <laughs> maybe you got a present you weren't the most excited about. It's okay. That's not why we do it. It's not because of our kids. It's because we love them. Uh, and none of that really matters. It's why God, again, he paid that ultimate sacrifice. And so if you think about those moments before Christmas, you've ever had to put a bike together late at night trying to get this thing put together for your kids. Maybe your wife bought a red bed or some furniture, you're trying to put that together, you're trying to get all the reading instructions. If your wife is like my wife, you know, I'm putting it together, but she's telling me how to do it and asking why I'm there, I'm there. Again, none of that matters. I'm doing it because God loves me and I love my family. So, again, we do it because of God's love. And so as I move on to 11 and 12, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So if God so loved us, we also ought to love, again, one another. So dads, fathers, think about this. How are you representing God's love when you leave church? How are you representing God's love when you're in church? What about when you're at your job, when you're driving, when you're out to dinner, uh, when you're with your family? How are you modeling and representing God's love? Are you showing them, are you showing your family that love that is kind and patient, that protects, that always perseveres? Again, that love that is self-seeking, that love that, again, when your kids are acting up, that love that is not easily angered. Remember that Excuse me, remember that love is the most important virtue in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Without love, there is no redemption. So again, if you think about that, without love, there is no redemption. So our Heavenly Father, through love and forgiveness, He's given us, again, the ultimate sacrifice, He's given us that, another opportunity, over and over again. So fathers, dads, with our families, are we giving our children, our kids, that same love, that same opportunity for redemption, allowing them to grow, uh, modeling for them, what they should be like. And dads, who is your model? And again, we have people on earth as great, as great examples, but is your heavenly father your ultimate model of who, who to be a, how to be a dad and how to be a father? So, again, without love, there is no redemption. I thank God uh, he sacrificed for us. I thank God for all the dads who sacrificed for their families and exemplified God's love and the love for the family simply because our Heavenly Father loves us. And so while the video at the beginning was, was amusing and, and it was fun, Father's Day doesn't really suck. Um, Father's Day is, that is the embodiment of being a father. Everything you saw there, everything that happens in our lives, you know, we're different from moms, we're different from mothers. That's, that's our life, that's who we are, that's what we do. And again, if we look at God as our example, we're not doing it because of we want the greatest fathers, and because we want this gift, we want that. That's fine. That's the model. We do it because God loved us, and we loved our families. Um, we understand, again, that the sacrifice. Dads, can, can you make that ultimate sacrifice? What are you willing to do for your family? Again, are you willing to do it because of anything you hope to get in return? Or are you doing it simply because God loved us and you love your family? Thank you.
Chipotle? <laughs> Chipotle. I have. Okay, we, we, I'll, I'll talk to you after worship. <laughs> Chipotle and I have. Okay, all right. Uh, I thank God for DeAndre. I absolutely do. I thank God for Isabel. She is my daughter. And she is, uh, uh, I tease her because I can't. She's my daughter, and she is, uh, that's right, remember that time, I tease her because I can. Uh, she is the reason why the berries are here. You know, she is a catalyst uh, to, to pull them here. Uh, our next speaker for today, um, uh, awesome man of God, awesome man of God. I have not had the privilege of knowing him back when we were in the gymnasium. There's one thing that I always want to make sure that we, we understand as a ministry. We're, we're a small ministry, uh, but small doesn't doesn't equate to ineffective. Uh, you know, uh, last time I checked, Gideon went from I believe it was sixty thousand. Gideon, uh, yeah, Gideon went from sixty thousand down to three hundred. Uh, you know, so the, the equivalent is, is is amazing in terms of what we have here. Um, we have incredible opportunity. But what I don't want us to do or forget is, well, there were those that were with us from the uh, from the garage, the garage days. And those who remember that, Gene, remember those days, the, the garage days, uh, to the health professions high school days, to now the Oak Park community days. Well, this young man and his family, um, he has been a blessing to me. Let me just say that, an absolute blessing to me, and I know because she has said so, a blessing to, to my wife. Uh, he, he flies low, but uh, uh, I, I see in him, and he is evidence, a strong, deep, uh, spiritual connection uh, to not only City Church, but to the Gospel. And I am doing everything in my power, if you didn't already figure this out, I'm doing everything in my power to nurture and to develop that, that relationship. Because I see him and his family uh, being significant, um, uh, uh, playing a significant role. And again, I don't admit, I don't, not city church, that's, you're aiming too low, but it's within the body of Christ that uh, his ministry is going to go far and wide. While he came to us, he has stuck with us. We have dined together. We shared tragedy together, uh, literally when we were uh, having uh, dinner in our home. Pray for and pray with our next speaker, none other than William Leon. William.
Um, God, for the things that overlap with DeAndre, um, we just know that you've finally orchestrated that to really probe our hearts and really emphasize those points. Um, so God, we just give this time up to you. Um, please be glorified in Jesus' name. Awesome. So today's passage contains, I think, what's the most profound and yet in our day perhaps the most tragic phrase that's used to describe God. Um, this phrase, God is love. Um, and for me, it's pretty easy to gloss over these words, God is love, with that much thought and just how powerful and wonderful this can be. Um, you know, when I choose time to spend in the Bible reading books on theology, my tendency is to try to look at these really, I guess, complex issues maybe, or things like God's holiness, or His justice, or His passion for His glory. Um, or sometimes the tendency is to try to look at what's culturally relevant and say, oh, what does the Bible say about this specific issue that is important in culture right now? Or what are the hot topics in the church that have divided denominations and stuff like that? And I really tend to draw towards those things. And so I haven't really spent that much time really focusing in on God's love. But in preparing for this, um, I guess the passage really outlines that God's love is really important. And so for my hope for today, is, as we reflect on this passage, it's similar to what Paul prayed for the Ephesians in chapter 3, that we may grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of God and Christ is. And I hope that today um, we can just expand our understanding of how God has displayed his love for us and can be challenged to continually practice loving one another. Um, so just to reread the text, um, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So my plan for today is just to go over several of the attributes of God's love that we see in these verses. Um, first, right, God is love in verse 8, and love comes from God, verse 7. And then 9, God showed his love among us. And then in 10, you can see that that love was costly. Um, so this first one, God is love and love comes from us. Um, DeAndre did a great job summarizing this. Um, but, right, God is love. This means that love is a part of God's being, and it's a necessary part of his nature. And it's so integral to who he is and his actions that one of the best ways we can describe God's character is love. Um, and this love comes from God. Right? Not only can we describe his character and nature as loving, but God is the source and originator of love. So, in our definitions of love, we need to look to how the author and creator of love has defined it, and since he's the author and source of it. In our behavior towards one another, we also need to look towards God's character and his actions to see how he's modeled that for us. Right? And so, I think God is love is different from love is God. And love is God, I think, is a lot more prevalent than we think it is. Love is God means that we've made love an idol. That love takes the place of God. It takes the place of God by defining what we want, or defining what we think is right, or defining how we spend our time. And I know for myself, creating idols is really easy. 
Right? Love as God suggests that our feelings and desires are of the highest importance and that we should, in all things, just follow our own hearts. Um, the notion of love as God is everywhere. And sometimes it's actually really helpful um, in terms of how we relate to one another. But when taken too far, we often forget that love should point us back to God, the author of love. So, for example, Aniela and I recently read through a pretty well-known book called The Five Love Languages. Over 11 million copies sold. Um, and it's, it's a great tool. Um, it draws attention to different ways that people communicate and accept appreciation for each other. Whether it's through quality time, touch, acts of service, gifts, or words or affirmation, people just experience appreciation in different ways. Um, and although we found parts of the book a little corny, as we do with a lot of relationship books or health books, it's actually really helpful. So don't take anything I'm saying as negative. Um, but, and I think there's so much more that I need to do to love my wife and family better, and there's so much more that I need to learn to help me do that, so these books are really helpful. Um, however, when these tools are divorced from God, um, they end up making an idol out of love. Right. right? Five Love Languages is premised on this idea that this in-love feeling you may have lost along the way between you and your spouse, or maybe you and your child, or something like that, that that can be rekindled if we learn to speak that person's love language. Um, the book elevates our feelings and our desires and provides the tools so that we can help one another feel more loved. And the message seems to be that if we appeal to our spouse or children or co-workers the way that they like, then many of our problems won't be solved. Um, at its extreme, it suggests if only I do the right thing that maybe I'll get this feeling of love back again, or only I do the right thing, things will be okay. Love can easily become the God that we're seeking. But the love of God is different, right? It's not premised on us doing all the right things. And in fact, there's nothing that we have done ourselves to be deserving of this love. That's right. The idea of love as God is also prevalent in encouraging us not to be honest with one another and not to address sin or other issues. It's easy for us to continue to act loving towards one another instead of calling out sin or speaking truth for fear that maybe we actually look unloving or we look strange in our culture and times. Or sometimes it's just easier to um, just not provide correction or not say things just because we don't like conflict. I, I know I do that a lot. <laughs> but. You know, sometimes we have the exact life experience and the ability to speak into one another's lives in a way that can correct and encourage, and we have to do that in love. Um, here's a silly example. Earlier this week, we were at Home Depot um, on Tuesday, and I was following Clement around. He really likes big stores because there's so much stuff to do. Um, and his favorite activity is to go over, pick up an object, walk about 10 feet, drop it on the floor, pick up something else, and keep going and drop it somewhere else. And we did that for about an hour, and it takes a lot of effort to get him to like go and pick up the item, put it back where it's supposed to be. Um, and it's probably a lot easier for me to run, pick it up and stick it back, or try to just pick him up so he can't do any of those things. Um, but if I just let him continue on his way and do whatever he wants, my actions say that love, or more so his feelings and desires at a specific time take precedence over like what is right and what are the norms and what's set. And I, as a parent, have been given the responsibility to teach him what's right. And it's more loving for me to try to teach him what is correct and proper in the store than to let him in the wild. 
So, right, John doesn't say love is God. Instead, he says God is love. And we should look to God to define what love is and to see how he models that for us. And so, in studying, preparing for this passage, um, and then reflecting on this point that I've been reading a lot about, which is this, even before creation, God is love. And this can only be true if God contains at least two persons. Love requires an object. So for God to be loved and express that perfectly before creation, before there was anything else to love, that implies there had to be at least two persons. Right? In John 1, 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That doesn't only point to Jesus being there from the beginning, but in combination with the understanding that God is love. These passages point to the dynamic and perfect relationship between the Father and Son that's existed from eternity. In John 17, as Jesus prays for his disciples, he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So love is expressed perfectly and fully in the relationship between the Father and the Son. When we say God is love and that love is an essential part of God's character, we're referring to the perfect relationship that exists between God the Father and Jesus the Son of God. And I think this is this understanding this is going to make God's display of love for us so much more meaningful. Yeah. We'll get that in a little bit. Yeah. So a few quick points from the passage on how God has modeled this love for us. One, God chooses to love us, is the one who initiates the love, and displays his love for us in tangible ways. Verse 9, it says, This is how God shows love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. And so here we see love is a choice. God chooses to love us, and his love is a conscious decision. Right? In Deuteronomy, it says, The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is faithful, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations to those who love him and keep his commandments. So God didn't choose to love us because we're so great. Nor do I think his continual love for us is full of warm fuzzies. Loving one another is easy when it feels good, but love is most powerful when it's a choice. When only feelings and instincts govern who we love, we're really saying that God is, we're really saying that love is God. But we have done nothing to make us deserving of God's love, and yet he chooses to love us. Other point, God displays his love. He took the initiative and physically displayed his love for us when he sent Jesus. So in our everyday life, this common grace and divine providence include things that are physically visible to us and tangible so that we know his love. So for us, in our everyday lives, love doesn't just include feelings of affections for one another whenever we feel it. No, it's a choice that we make that is expressed through our actions. Another point in this passage is that God's love is costly. In verse 10 it says, This is love, not that God, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love for us is most costly. Remember that point earlier about Jesus and God before creation. For all eternity, love has been defined and modeled as the perfect relationship between the Father and Son. 
And yet God chose to send Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. So as we gain a better understanding of the love between the Father and Son, this makes it even clearer how costly this was. I mean, I think it's hard to imagine the gravity of the sacrifice. The love between Father and Son is more deep and pure than those of the best celebrity couples, or relationships with their spouse, or even ours with their children. And I think it's only now as husband and father that I can even understand a hint of that cost. I mean, I get sad when Clement is hurt unjustly, such as being bit by another kid at daycare, or falling and scraping off his entire fingernail, which he did a little while ago, it was kind of But I couldn't imagine subjecting him to the torture and death, such as what Jesus went through. And I guess even from the side of Jesus coming to us, um, Earlier this week, we were trying to get in the car and get Clement to come along with us, and he wouldn't, he was just playing in the front yard, so we played this trick where we started the car, and we're like, oh, we're going to leave without you, and he got so sad, and so kind of like going both ways, like that love between God the Father and God the Son is even greater than any love that we have with our earthly relationships, and yet just things that we have in our life show how possible that can be. So, last point. In verses 7 and 11, John tells us the proper response to God's love, right? Let us love one another. And yet, this is really hard to do, right? Loving one another is more than a feeling of affection, but as modeled to us involves a true relationship with one another. It involves a choice to be present when we don't feel like it. It requires us to take the initiative and to make costly sacrifices. It requires us to put in effort when we're tired. My own sense of what love is can be really self-centered selfish. When asked what I would do if I had unlimited time and resources, the picture I normally have is Angela climbing to me, traveling around in a camper and going on adventures, rock climbing, hiking, fishing, and enjoying nature, and then like parents and friends that we want to see would suddenly teleport to where we are and you know So it's all very self-centered, right? Um, and when we're in love with someone, we often just picture being happy with just that person and not needing anything else. So for me, this feeling of love at least easily leads to withdrawing from others besides my immediate circle of closest friends and family. Right? And love is hard. And this whole, this whole list is also hard. It maybe doesn't sound that encouraging to like, hear all these great things that we are trying to live up to. But God's love is different. Before our creation, the Father and the Son could credibly say, we're in perfect harmony. We're perfect and nothing else matters. But the fullness of that love overflowed, and out of their relationship flowed a love that creates, a love that extends to those who did not love God. And that love was powerful, right? In Ezekiel it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God's love has that power to transform us, to awaken us from the dead. And so verse eight tells us, whoever does not love, does not know God. You know, we all have those friends or people we know that are entirely focused on a single thing. Maybe it's business or sports or a hobby. So much so that if you don't know anything about that thing, let's say it's basketball, then you pretty much have nothing to talk to them about. Or at least it's so big a part of that person's life that if you didn't at least try to understand it, you can't really say you know that person. You wouldn't know the thing that makes them tick or have a sense of how important it is to them. And I think that same idea is true of loving God. It's so much part of God's being that it overflows. 
and it should overflow into us. Wow. If, if we don't love, how can we know God? As Mark likes to say, Christian is as Christian does, and as John says, Christians should love one another. Amen. Amen.